Talk 1110-993-WBT, hour number two underway. This is it. You're in it. Right in the middle of it. Well, actually, the beginning. But we're right in the middle of the show. Well, a little bit, like, a little bit before the middle. Okay, never mind. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com, talking about the Twitter files. And uh, now we get to the... We get to the analysis, quote unquote, of the Twitter files. So first off, when the uh, when Matt Taibbi starts publishing all of the Twitter files, um, you get the initial response from his fellow journalists, which is why I call them journalismers. And their reaction is to attack him. And what's amazing is they attack him with almost the same verbatim language. This is now another example. We just went over one the other day, right, where everybody just starts tweeting the exact same language. How does that happen? Are they all just in this echo chamber inside this this leftist bubble, elite leftist bubble, that they all see the same language and just regurgitate it? Do they just copy and paste it from each other? Or do they have, like, social media brand companies that that manage their accounts and so then they just blast it all out and you would think at some point there would be some embarrassment that they're saying the exact same thing as you know a thousand other leftist journalismers and that that would shame them somehow but it it doesn't that's what's truly remarkable there's no shame here so matt taibbi when he uh, after he posted all of this stuff up, he said, "Looking forward to going through all of the tweets complaining about quote PR for the richest man on earth, and then seeing how many of them have run stories for anonymous sources at the FBI, the CIA, the Pentagon, the White House, etc." See, this is a key. This is a key component here. I think this is why Matt Taibbi got picked. Matt Taibbi is much like Glenn Greenwald in that they were they were. Liberals and they were anti Iraq war. They were anti, you know, military, uh, anti deep state, anti FBI and CIA. They were against all of these alphabet agencies back when they were controlled by George W. Bush's administration and, and they were evil and all the military industrial complex and all of this. And slowly, gradually over time, right, Democrats have cozied up to these organ uh, to, to these agencies and people in the agencies have reciprocated and this has been disturbing to people like Taibi and Glenn Greenwald and what he's pointing out here is because that line the PR for the richest man on earth you saw it everywhere on Friday starting Friday night and through the weekend you saw people here we go this is uh Matt uh, Max Berger who said I'm old enough to remember when this guy considered himself the scourge of billionaires. He met with us at Occupy Wall Street to discuss digging up dirt on elite bankers. Now he's helping the richest man in the world spread right-wing talking points. Ben Collins at NBC News, just a truly awful person, said, quote, Imagine throwing it all away to do PR work for the richest person in the world. Humiliating poop. Although he didn't say poop. So that was the, the common language, verbatim. They were saying the same thing, to do PR work for the richest man on earth. They were all saying it. And what Taibbi's saying in response is, I wonder how many of you folks that are calling me not a journalist because I'm doing, quote, PR for the richest man on earth, 
How many of you have run stories from anonymous sources at the FBI, the CIA, the White House, the Pentagon? Because that's not journalism. Taibbi actually has evidence. He actually has the documents. He's actually committing an act of journalism. And the people who profess to be journalists are attacking him for doing so. Now ask yourself why. A couple reasons come to my mind, and these are all purely speculative, but I have a feeling some of their names are going to pop up in some of these emails. Why wouldn't they? Right? Why, why wouldn't these self-professed gatekeepers of, you know, right think? Why wouldn't they be sending emails and tweets to their pals at Twitter management and saying, hey, got some more uh, accounts for you to knock out. Oh, I found some more disinformation. Just doing my... Just doing my helpful, you know, public service here, helping out Twitter maintain election integrity. Disinformation is a threat to our democracy, after all. Hang on, there's more. Because Elon Musk is vowing more. Says there are, there are more documents that are coming. I'm going to get to that. There's a piece by Matt Bivens. He has a substack. He's a doctor. He's a friend of Matt Taibbi's. Very, link, very, very lengthy piece. But he, the headline is Twitter is fun again. Because he noted how on Friday night, this epic takedown of Twitter delivered on Twitter. In what was ultimately a 41-tweet thread, it was parceled out as fast as Taibbi could post, side-by-side side with readers commenting in real time, offering responses ranging from wow to this is garbage. Claims that history was being made before our eyes, countered by sarcastic gifs of a sesame seed bun with no hamburger inside, and quite a few variations of the line, this is fun, Twitter is fun again. And it was. Twitter indeed used to be fun with real Americans, as opposed to computer bots and paid hacks posting real-time opinion and wit all in a format that mandates brevity. That's what was fun about Twitter. But in recent years, most of the fun has been policed out. So it was odd to once again enjoy scrolling through a Twitter feed. Republican-leaning media declared that Taibbi had highlighted a national scandal. Democrat-leaning media yawned. A Washington Post report described the Twitter files as a dud. CNN said the files so far have simply largely corroborated what was already known. As a political independent, skeptical of both parties, I find all of the above to be simultaneously true. The opening salvo of the Twitter files did indeed come up short. It corroborated what we knew, highlight a national scandal, and raise fundamental questions about the integrity of our democracy in general and the recent presidential election in particular. I agree with this guy. I think that's I think those are all accurate descriptions of what we saw. The stated goal of the Twitter Files project has revolutionary potential. And Elon Musk and Matt Taibbi tell us this is just the beginning. By opening up Twitter's own internal documents, they have the opportunity to deal or to detail how Twitter uses its information, its management, its moderation, and how users have been manipulated secretly, how they've been managed, how they've been muzzled. And this has been going on for years around the world on various topics of first-order significance. 
Manipulated by whom? And to what end? Right, those are the important remaining questions, and here too, so far, the Twitter files come up short. In particular, I want to hear more about the involvement of the three-letter security agencies, like the FBI, the CIA. How are they shaping our social media and, by extension, our worldviews? This is the part that I suspect has got a lot of folks in the Republican Party kind of worried. Because for a long time, a lot of folks in the Republican Party have looked at these agencies as friendlies. And I don't think that that's the case any longer, if it ever really was. But I think there are a lot of people in these agencies that do great harm and will do great harm and have done great harm. Right. It's it's a different world we're in now. And if these agencies are now utilizing social media to manipulate elections in favor of one political party over another, burn them to the ground. You got to pull them completely out. Roots and all. By the way, he says that what Twitter is doing is inspiring. He says they have absolute, uh, there have absolutely been similar shenanigans underway across all social media. When do we get to see the Facebook files or the YouTube download or the Snapchat papers, right? All right, so to understand why the decisions made in 2020 were made the way they were, he says you got to go back to 2016. Because that's where this scandal really starts. It's a peak tweet from at Patriot Girl who says Elon Musk just might be the bravest man in the world right now. (laughs) Yeah, uh, he did send out a tweet that said uh, that he is not suicidal. (laughs) So if anything happens to him... He, d- he didn't do it himself. So he just wants to put that put that marker out there. Um, all right, so to know what uh, why Twitter made the decisions it made in 2020, in a, right up to the election with the Hunter Biden laptop and censoring that story, suppressing the story, you got to go back to 2016, right? Because their decision was informed by what they saw and what they thought occurred in 2016, it's again Matt Bivens writing at his uh, his own Substack. He is a, he's a doctor, but he's apparently an acquaintance of Matt Taibbi, who published the Twitter files on Friday. And uh, he writes about 2016. A lot of people blamed Hillary Clinton's loss on the FBI's last minute announcement that she was under investigation for the handling of the official emails. Again, not emails, folks. This is the server. It is a server. It's not emails. The emails were symptoms of the infection, which was the server. Okay. Jim Comey and the FBI were accused of uh, tanking her candidacy. They shivved her. Uh, They came and gutted her, right? Comey and the FBI were clearly embarrassed and haunted by that possibility. Remember, Comey said it was, quote, a nightmare I can't awaken from. Not prone to hyperbole. Right, so it was Comey's fault. This is, this is accepted as truth on the left. Hillary Clinton lost because of Jim Comey. It couldn't be that she's a terrible candidate and people just don't like her. And all. No, no, none of that. How could she have lost to Donald Trump? Obviously, Jim Comey did it. With the Russians. 
Yeah, the Russians, too. That's right. It was collusion. Weeks before Trump's inauguration in the final days of the Obama-Biden White House, the intelligence community, basically Comey and his colleagues, handed down a major report that alleged broad-based Russian interference in our affairs. Remember all of this? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The Russians are coming. They're coming for our elections. Democracy dies in darkness. All of that time period. Oh, they were hysterical. And I remember trying to cover it at the time. You don't know what's real. I don't know what's true. And, okay, they put out this statement that there's some, they got some evidence. They got some foreign in, uh, interference. I want to hear what it is. What is it? Let me see it. So there's this big report. The one that kicked off a cottage industry of government publications and investigations about Russian meddling in our democracy. It's been going on for years now. But more than half of this grand report was a prolonged, petulant sulk about ingrates around the world who on YouTube seemed to actually prefer English-language Kremlin television over BBC and CNN. They were mad about it. The intelligence community was indignant about it. They'd spend years investigating some ludicrous propositions, like Donald Trump was a Russian sleeper agent. People on the left believe that to be true today. They'd investigate Russia had compromised the election by posting a tiny amount of totally obscure clickbait ads of no possible logical significance. Remember this? I do. They're like, oh, we got all... Yeah, they were, they were posting ads. When you, you look at the, the amount of money they were spending, these were coming from accounts that had no interaction. The ads were clickbait. They didn't get any traction. Nobody had heard of them. Fast forward to 2020, after years of hyperventilating that the Russians are trying to control us through our social media and hack our elections, representatives of the FBI and the CIA now seemed far better placed to do that instead. The FBI's former top lawyer, Jim Baker, a man who had spent years signing off on key moments of the Trump-Russiagate investigations, had by this point taken up a new perch as the top lawyer for Twitter. Baker joined a surprising number of other FBI, CIA, and NATO think tank officials who had all moved into top Twitter posts in recent years. As the 2020 election loomed, the FBI was hosting weekly meetings with executives from Facebook, Twitter, and other social media giants to discuss how to police social media. I've talked about this before. They were talking about, right before the 2020 election, they were talking about, oh, we got, we got more disinformation Campaign, this one's coming from Iran. We've identified 130 Twitter accounts. Oh, I guess I should say this. We've identified 130 Twitter accounts. There you go. Scary. What are the mullahs doing to our elections? Well, when you actually look at the 130 Twitter accounts, they don't have any followers they don't have any likes they don't have any retweets nobody saw them there was there was no impact columbia journalism review they they took they pointed out in an issue they were like wait a minute this this russia facebook ad buy over an entire election season was a hundred thousand dollars you know what facebook's advertising revenue is $96 million per day, per day. You think a $100,000 buy by the Russians over an entire election cycle, you think that swung an election? 
it gets even more ludicrous. The ads were of no actual coherence. They were obviously nothing more than random revenue-generating clickbait. One of the uh, favorite ones was this muscular, cartoon, rainbow-colored Bernie Sanders. It ran for one day. It got clicked on 54 times. The Democrats running the uh, House investigation on this, they told us that it was the Russians that did it. It was the Russians, yeah. Adam Schiff. Instead of mocking Congress and the FBI for this lunacy, media went and tracked down the woman who originally drew the cartoon. And she drew it for a pro-Bernie Sanders coloring book. And they stuck a mic in her face. Explain yourself. Clearly, 2020, we needed the FBI and the national media working hand-in-hand to police our social media, right? Because of Russia and Iran. Yoel Roth, who at Twitter carried the Robespierrean title of head of site integrity, he testified that he and other industry peers in the months before the 2020 election had regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Homeland Security, and the FBI regarding election security. And he said, quote, I also learned in these meetings there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. They knew it was coming. Why did they know it was coming? How did they know it was coming? Well, they had the laptop. Because the, the laptop store repairman gave them a copy. Gave it to the FBI. And then they sat on it. And they didn't do anything with it. Weeks before the story broke. FBI officials were laying the groundwork at Twitter, at Facebook, and beyond in order to squelch it. All of this is the backstory for the moment when the New York Post breaks the bizarre story about Hunter Biden's laptop. Twitter quickly moves to suppress it, right? Because they had already been prompted to do so. They already had all the, 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 the foundation was laid by these uh, agencies ahead of time. So they shut it down. It is the 21st century equivalent of the old game of smashing the presses and gathering up and burning the newspapers. We know from Mark Zuckerberg when he was on with Joe Rogan, he said that Facebook, also at FBI request, took similar emergency steps to stop the story. That's what we saw. That's what happened. And you've got your major mainstream media outlets, your corporate media today, even today, it's been now two or three days, and they're still not covering this. Now ask yourself why. Because they were part of the effort. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, last little bit here from uh, Matt Bivens. It's a very lengthy piece. I'm just giving you the highlights here. Um, four days after the New York Post story had been released about Hunter Biden's laptop and then immediately squelched, more than 50 former intelligence officials, including five former CIA chiefs, John Brennan, Michael Hayden, John McLaughlin, Michael Morrell, and Leon Panetta, right? They all signed a letter declaring the laptop story, quote, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. It was a hilarious formulation. These well-informed individuals surely knew the laptop story, as depressing as it is, was the real deal. They knew it because the Bidens did not deny it, among other things. 
It has also since been confirmed as an authentic story by everybody from CBS News to the Justice Department and the New York Times. So it's real now, and it was real then. Hence the letter's meaningless or meaninglessly vague formulation. They say that, they said the story has all the classic earmarks of something that's different than saying it actually is that something. How come none of these people, by the way, have been asked to atone or explain? Why? Dude, 50-something people, they signed this letter. All the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. Well, tell me, you were wrong. How did you get it so wrong? On what did you base that determination? What a spectacle. Five former chiefs of the CIA, dozens of top intel officials, all of them openly using deception to meddle in the American democratic process. Remember, the laptop had been in the possession of the FBI. They knew exactly what it was. Yet they had just spent weeks briefing social media companies to watch out for a Russian deception involving the Hunter Biden laptop story, a story they all knew was true. And now they were doubling down on the deception with the corny public letter. Nor were any of them being called out over the obvious deception. The Times didn't do it. The Washington Post, CNN, nobody. No doubt nobody wanted to accidentally help get Trump reelected to pull a Jim Comey, right? And then be trapped in Comey's nightmare I can't awaken from. Right, so to understand 2020, you have to understand 2016. You have to understand what the left thinks about 2016. And then it all makes sense. And by the way, this guy connects these dots. I was These are the dots I've been connecting for, I don't know, a year now. Because it's obvious what was going on. The FBI had the laptop. They knew what was on it. They knew it was going to get out. And so they started telling social media companies, beware of a Russian disinformation campaign. It's going to involve a hack and leak from the... Uh, regarding Hunter Biden. There are still, hang on, where is it? There are still people, this is a guy, here it is, David Karpf. He's an associate professor at George Washington University. And he says the thing to understand about the Hunter Biden laptop story was that it was supposed to be the Trump campaign's October surprise. Mainstream media and social media were supposed to take the bait and focus on the appearance of scandal for the last weeks of the election, but they didn't take the bait. The New York Post story was shunned. Social media platforms treated it as manufactured propaganda with questionable sourcing, and conservative elites have been mad ever since. See, this like, oh, you tried to, you were trying to make it an October surprise. But it's true. The stuff on the laptop is true. And the stuff on the laptop, I don't, it's not even about, it's not even about the prostitutes and the blow. It's not for me. Although, yes, I mean, there are pictures that raise questions about human trafficking if he's taking them across state lines. And then there's also questions about underage people that may be in it, in some of those pictures. But that's not been the thing for me. The thing for me is the influence peddling, the 10% for the big guy. Hotair.com. Oh, I forget who wrote this now. I don't know. Oh, I think I deleted his name. My apologies. Um, there wasn't anything particularly shocking in the recent revelations, mostly because we already knew Twitter moderation was fundamentally corrupt. 
The mainstream media is having a mental breakdown over these revelations. Their favorite toy, Twitter, has been taken away from them, and they will never forgive Elon Musk. And that this really is a big part of this story. It really this is the this is a lens through which you need to view this story. The way the media is behaving is due to the fact that they viewed it as theirs. This was their platform. This was their way that they could break free of the shackles, the bondage of uh, of a news organization. They could be their own brand. And I get it. Personal experience here. I get it. I totally understand it. But this was theirs. And because they felt like the people who were running the show were listening to them and vice versa, hey, we're all in this together. Look at us. We're all palsy-wowsies. Because there's always some element of wanting to be in the in-group. The real anger now is being directed at reporter Matt Taibbi, formerly of Rolling Stone and now a star on Substack. He, along with Glenn Greenwald and Barry Weiss, have built a strong, huge following on the platform, filling in a void, sorry, filling a void in the current news landscape. Former mainstream reporters who defected due to disgust with the rejection of journalistic standards. Musk is releasing the Twitter files through Taibbi, and the media elite are in full attack mode against him, utterly unhinged and totally coordinated attacks. It's almost as if there's an official mainstream media narrative. It's pretty obvious that the word went out about the talking points and the entire mainstream media and leftist Twitter compliantly put out the spin that Taibi is doing PR work for Elon Musk, not real reporting, despite having access to the actual data, the raw data. The attacks on him are totally ridiculous as well. They're like, oh, you're just doing PR work. Like, dude, 95% of the news is repeating what powerful people want out there. Leaks come from powerful people. Press releases come from powerful people. Deep Throat was a powerful person. The media rarely covers anything else. Reporters need not be stenographers for uh, for the powerful, but every single one of them utterly depends upon what the powerful tell them. They attacked Taibbi for reporting from original documents. But none of these journalismers, as I call them, have ever corrected their reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop being Russian propaganda. Because they're hacks. Deceptive, propagandistic hacks. They just repeat lies. And then they memory hold them when they're proven false. Have you seen any corrections about the Russia collusion stories? Of course not. They got a Pulitzer Prize for lying. Literally. They clearly don't want this story told at all. Why? Because each of these people participated in the cover-up of a bona fide news story right before an election, and they are doing everything they can to distract from that fact. Almost every reporter went into overdrive to debunk the legitimacy of the laptop, calling it Russian disinformation, cheering on the censorship of the story, amplifying, quote, information that was absolutely false. These reporters were doing stenography. They were not doing reporting. They were just repeating the narrative that was given to them by the Biden camp. They don't want that exposed for all the world to see. Their excuse for covering up the laptop was being careful not to spread misinformation before an election. But that is exactly what they, in fact, did themselves. So, remember, I started the program. I said, journalisming, rule number two. When a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. But when a scandal is about a Democrat, the story is about the Republican reaction to that scandal of the Democrat. 
So what is the story today? It's what Donald Trump said. Not kidding. of journalisming. Journalisming rule number two. When a scandal is about a Republican, the story is the scandal. When a scandal is about a Democrat, the story is about the Republican reaction. So we got a scandal involving a Democrat. Hunter Biden, the laptop, the suppression, the censorship. By the way, I got an email here. Let me get to that. Uh, The email uh, from Stanley, who says the argument that these big tech companies are private and therefore should be able to censor Americans on their platforms and it not, it's not a constitutional violation, is laughable on its face. It's favorable government treatment via regulatory agencies, monetary and tax policies that have created these large monopoly companies. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, with no competitors and subsequently just extensions of government itself. When these companies do this and they're just paying back the hand that feeds them and gives them the power they have, use antitrust legislation to break them up. What we saw, and again, I, I don't think I agree with the the framing of that. But what we saw in this instance of the Hunter Biden laptop was censorship by surrogate. Okay. That's what we saw. The government couldn't do it itself. So they asked a friendly age, a friendly organization to do it instead. This is fascism, by the way, for all of the anti-fas that are out there, right. That are like, we're against fascism. And that, that means we can punch you. Right. That's actually what fascism is. It's this veneer of uh, of private sector operations, but everything is actually dictated by a central authority, a government. So because the scandal involves the Democrat, the story must be obviously not the scandal, but the reaction to the scandal by Republicans. Enter Donald Trump. He posted up onto his uh, truth social platform. He says, so with the revelation of massive and why he all capitalized this. So that's why I'm reading it like that. So with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with the big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party. Do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Yeah, what? Our great founders, he put in quotes, did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. Right? So what is he saying? A massive fraud of this type allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. The word termination, the Constitution. This is the scandal. When you go to the websites of the mainstream and uh, corporate media outlets, this is what they're focusing on. The Donald Trump truth, so what do they call them over there? They're not tweets, obviously. What are the truths? Is that what they call them? Truths? Truthies? Socials? Here's a good example of it. This is uh, NBC News by Summer Conception. That's her name. 
Ah, well, that's actually Concepcion. Headline, top Republicans stay silent on Trump's call to terminate the Constitution. Okay, that, that's, that's not exactly what he said. He said the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution, and he's talking about the context being the election. So he's saying throw out all of those rules that pertain to him losing the election and get him back in there. That's, that's what he's promoting. That's his, okay. So he's not, he's not saying terminate the Constitution, but if you look at leftist media, leftist social media, that is what they're saying he said. It's not true, but it's close, and so most people don't go back and look at the original statement. But the story is the reaction to the scandal and how Republicans, you know, got to be careful not to overreach, right? That's always one of those stories that you see. Republicans should be careful not to overreach in the wake of this terrible Democrat scandal. So Trump is distracting. It allows the media, this is why, you know, why they're doing it. It allows the media to not look at the scandal. It gives them the opportunity to make it about Trump, which they then, of course, dutifully do. They go out and ask all of these Republican leaders, are you going to play our favorite game, defend or disavow? It's D or D time, everybody. Defend or disavow. Defend or disavow. That's what... That's what they're doing right now, hitting up all of these Republican leaders and, uh, and members of Congress. What did you think about what Trump said? And then when you don't say anything, they're like, oh, they're silent. They're remaining silent. Silence is complicity. Silence is violence. Jonathan Turley has some really good write-ups on this stuff. He did one for, I believe it's The Hill. And, uh, and then he did another one at his website, uh, jonathanturley.org, where he talks about the six degrees of James Baker, Jim Baker, a, fa- a familiar figure, reemerges with the release of the Twitter files. Right, this was the guy who was uh, the conduit from the Hillary Clinton campaign in 2016, who planted the the Russia Alpha Bank information through Michael Sussman, her attorney. Right, the Oppo research handed off to the FBI. That was Jim Baker who took it. Now he works at Twitter, and he was the one who said, no, 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 suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story. Totally fine.